The material shared within this podcast is based on the personal experiences and learnings of the presenter. Coloplast has paid the presenter for sharing this information. Nothing within this podcast is intended to be used as medical advice and or used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Coloplast Professional Bowel and Bladder Matters Podcast, where we explore various important topics related to ostomies and continence. Today's podcast guest is Jane Fellows. Jane received her bachelor and master's degrees in nursing from Duke University. She attended the Emory University WOC Nursing Education Program and is certified as an advanced practice wound ostomy incontinence nurse. She has done presentations on ostomy and fistula management regionally, nationally, and internationally, and has published chapters in textbooks as well as articles in the Journal of Wound Ostomy Incontinence Nursing. She has served on the WOCN-CB and the Ostomy Guidelines Task Force for the WOCN Society. I am your host, Sarah Warmby. I am a certified wound ostomy continence nurse and clinical consultant with Coloplast. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jane. Thank you for having me. Today's podcast topic is managing ileostomies. So how is management of an ileostomy different than any other type of ostomy? The ileostomy has um, a more liquid output, but it also has an output that has um, enzymes in it and acidity that causes um, skin problems if leakage occurs. Since the output is liquid, you're more vulnerable to leakage, and since the liquid is caustic to the skin, then you're more likely to have some skin breakdown with that. There is also the problem that occurs of dehydration with an ileostomy, which we will be talking about in a few minutes. Okay, so what are those challenges that you routinely see with people with an ileostomy? Well, people with an ileostomy are more likely to have pouching problems, particularly in the post-op period. They may go home from the hospital with a pouch that no longer fits them two to four weeks later and need to be assessed for a different type of pouching system. Because they are so um, new to having a stoma at that point, it's important that they get help from an ostomy nurse, um, an an ostomy patient group, or from um, some of the follow-up programs with our industry partners. So based off the above questions uh, we just discussed, uh, what are some of your solutions to those challenges? Well, frequently the person may need a different pouching system. They may not be cutting the wafer um, to the size of their stoma appropriately because they're still using the pattern they got in the hospital when the stoma was larger than it may be um, in this post-op period. They may need to go from a flat pouch to a convex pouch, and certainly they may need some additional education on skin protection. Due to a short hospital stay, most people going home from the hospital have not developed skin breakdown, so once they do have a problem with it, they're on their own to manage it and need some added education uh, for that. How do you educate your patients regarding prevention of dehydration? I always try to start with this on a pre-op visit so that they understand that they're going to be at risk for dehydration. 
many people have not um, gotten that information to that point because there's many other things to discuss about their surgery but helping them to understand that the function of the colon is to reabsorb both salt and liquid back to the body and that even though they will have digested their food, their output will be liquid and therefore they need to replace those fluids after their surgery. Then in the hospital, we also try to teach them about what an expected output would be, what to do if your output is greater, and to... Um, always have at least two liters of fluid a day. One of the things I think is important to educate people about is that is fluid, not water. Many people don't like water and they consider this sort of like taking medicine if they have to have two liters of water a day. So I always try to make sure they understand that soda, juice, tea, milk, coffee, all these things are liquid and are mostly water. So it's fine if they take those and it doesn't have to be strictly um, water, which is helpful for those people who don't like water and find it difficult to take. And then we also um, tell them that if they reach a point of feeling nauseated, they're unable to drink water, but they're showing signs of dehydration, that they need to go uh, to seek medical help in an emergency room where they could get some IV fluids if need be. And to make sure they understand that this is not um, a situation where we are blaming them for their dehydration after surgery, there may be circumstances that make it impossible for them to replace the fluids appropriately. The signs of dehydration that most patients seem to be able to notice are um, changes in the color of their urine, and we encourage them to look at that. If their urine starts to become uh, very dark yellow or amber, it may mean that their kidneys are working overtime to um, get enough fluid to the body, and they don't have enough fluid for output. Um, also, um, people may become confused or particularly um, cranky at the time they're feeling dehydrated. Now, invariably, if you describe these symptoms to a couple where one of them has an ileostomy, the other one will say, well, how would I know the difference? <laughs> it's always a sort of um, bit of levity in the conversation if you tell them that confused and cranky are signs of dehydration. But it is important because the person who is dehydrated may not be aware and may be very um, difficult to um, get fluids into, so. Yes, absolutely. It's good that the caregiver understands this as well. Let's just discuss a little bit about uh, nutrition education specific to new ileostomates. And do you find this to be a bit challenging? One of my challenges with this is that if you give them any information about the post-op period, they tend to take this as this is the rest of my life I have to do this. Uh, we do encourage patients to be on what we would call a soft diet, um, to be on a diet of foods that they know they digest well. Um, we discourage them from having a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables immediately post-op because there is swelling and this may cause discomfort and bloating and um, just impact the way they feel after surgery. The risk of a blockage 
is something that we do try to educate about. And there are foods with indigestible fiber that can cause blockages in patients. But in the experience of uh, myself and my colleagues, we don't find that this is a very common problem. It is not um, something about which they have to be terribly fearful. They just need to be aware that if they do have this blockage, they will need to get emergency help to take care of it. But because they tend to take this as I can never have these foods again, I do find it's a little difficult to provide this education. And if the person has access to outpatient education, this can be very helpful to review again. I have had people come in six months post-op with an, another problem and will say, boy, I would just kill for a salad. And why aren't you eating one? And they'll say, well, I was told I wasn't supposed to have fresh fruits and vegetables. Well, that was only in the immediate post-op period. And they don't necessarily hear that they can then introduce foods as they go along. I will have to say in working um, rather extensively with ostomy groups and asking people with long-established ileostomies what their diet restrictions are, they often either tell me they have none or they have the same kind of diet restrictions that the same group of people without an ileostomy would describe that are just strictly personal to them. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I used to get that question a lot, you know, when can I have a salad? And I think it's a really good point that you talk about how the immediate post-op period is where you really want to be more careful. And then maybe down the road, you can slowly introduce some of these things back into your diet if you didn't have an issue before. Um, but making sure that you understand that it's not a hard no. It's, it's really patient by patient and seeing how you really deal with that. Exactly. Where do you find that a person with an ileostomy gets the majority of their information regarding managing their ostomy? That's a subject that has changed greatly over the years that I have been doing this, but I would say YouTube is the source I hear most often. I have spent time looking at YouTube and trying to find good um, sites that provide accurate information that I could recommend to people, but that um, is difficult in that YouTube um, videos tend to come and go from the sites and you don't necessarily have a consistent one. I also find that misinformation is very um, prevalent there or that it's information that's very specific to the one person that's doing the YouTube. However, it does provide a sort of peer group and it does help people to understand that other people have ostomies because people with new ileostomies feel like they are the only human being on this earth that has this thing and that they are um, definitely very different. So if nothing else, YouTube provides that assurance that this surgery has been done before and someone else has it. We provide written material in the hospital, which a probably a fairly small percentage of people um, read or use. Um, I have frequently in the outpatient setting had people look at me and say, you probably gave me some information in the hospital. Is that true? And then look and say to their spouse, did we bring that home? 
Uh, I've had attendants in the parking garage call and say that apparently the information was put on the top of a car and oh, it, no. it has blown off. So I really find that we are moving away from a world where written information is the people get the majority of their information. So it is um, a changing situation and I would expect that we would continue to see changes. There are some Facebook groups that involve people with ostomies, and I think those can be effective as well. And um, if people are inclined, I would refer them to those. Mm-hmm. Um, the UOAA has excellent information online, and certainly our industry partners also have excellent websites with a lot of information that's available. So I think that's the direction in which we're moving. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's funny that you, you talk about YouTube because that's uh, a lot of the, the patients will go there for information. And um, I used to have patients come back and talk to me in clinic and say, uh, well, this person on YouTube, it worked for that person. And I would always remind them, you know, what works for one person may not work for you. You know, you have different, you could have two completely different stomas, different processes, and um, just always keep that in mind. But it is a very valuable tool uh, to connect with other ostomates as well. So I'm glad you brought that up. In closing, in your opinion, what is the most beneficial component to managing an ileostomy patient? Well, I think that if the person has access to an ostomy nurse, and I don't pretend to be unbiased in this opinion, uh, that is very helpful pre-op, in the hospital, and in the immediate post-op period. Following that, I think if they are connected with um, industry partners and peer groups of, of people with ostomies, that those people do very well, they feel supported, and um, what happens is that very insecure, very um, fragile person with a new ileostomy then becomes the expert and helps others in adjusting to this surgery. So certainly the face-to-face with an ostomy nurse initially and with a peer as time goes on, I think is the most effective. But sadly, that's not available to all of our ostomy patients. And I'm hopeful that we will continue to see more social media where people have a voice and are able to um, feel that they have a uh, group of um, peers that can help them through problems and that they indeed can help others. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bowel and Bladder Matters podcast, part of Coloplast Professional, where we believe clinician education related to ostomies and continence matters. For more educational resources from Coloplast, visit us at coloplast.us/professional.